Hey there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan with PureAndSimpleBible.com, and I'm so thankful that you're with me once again, and I'm also grateful for Jamie Thompson. He's back in the studio with us, and he's here to help us appreciate and care about the Old Testament. If you've ever been intimidated or you've attempted to read through the Old Testament and maybe you've just never made it through or uh, something has come up and it didn't quite make sense, you know, it's really easy for us to maybe think that we should be New Testament focused only. But Jamie's brought some really good reasons for us to think about the Old Testament, why it matters. So Bible readers, listen up. This is a great conversation, and I think the takeaways that you're going to get from it are going to help motivate you to read well. Let's jump right into the conversation, shall we? I'm here with Jamie Thompson. Very thankful to have you back with me in my temporary studio today. We're, we're meeting in my living room, but thank you very much for joining me again. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you asking me. Yeah. Um, well, I've had a lot of good feedback from your... I know I'm not just saying that as lip service. We just mentioned it off topic that somebody had talked to you about it, but I have had some good feedback from your previous one, and so I'm excited for round two. And uh, you've, you're asking a question. That's what the whole study's based on. And the question is, why should we care about the Old Testament? And um, so I know you kind of ask it rhetorically because you're going to give some answers, but um, maybe that's just a great place to begin. Why should we care about the Old Testament, you know, in a general sense? Right. Well, um, first of all, this is a real passion of mine, so I, I'm glad that I get to come and talk to you about it. Although I'm a little apprehensive since your dad's Doug Edwards, <laughs> who's such a great Old Testament scholar, but we'll, we'll do the best that we can, right? Sure. Um, well, I, I guess the most basic answer to that is that the Old Testament is part of God's Word. And I've got three points that I want to discuss today. Um, they're three New Testament scriptures that discuss the importance of um, the, the Old Testament today at, to us as Christians. You know, I talked to... Uh, you know, brothers in Christ from time to time. And I really try to, especially uh, some younger guys, I'll try to challenge them to read the Bible, you know, maybe read the New yeah. Testament in a certain amount of time or read through the whole Bible. And what I find is that a lot of people are really willing to uh, rise to the challenge of the New Testament. But it's it takes a little bit more to, to get them to agree to going through the whole Old Testament. In fact, a lot of Christians I know uh, typically maybe kind of, gloss over maybe they'll read some of the narrative maybe mm, a little bit yeah. of the wisdom poetry but then they jump straight into the gospels and, and they skip some of the other sections so uh i hope this is motivating for anybody out there who has not read through it not to shame you but to motivate you and give you that a little bit of extra oomph to pick it up and start reading through for the first time um you mentioned how the church does a really good job of explaining how we're no longer under the old law. Maybe we could talk about that for a moment, because typically we talk about, well, Old Testament, we're not under it anymore. Why do we do that? Well, I think that um, that's a, a result of what some of our uh, other religious friends from different groups uh, talk about. And there's a lot of confusion in the world about, in the world about what is uh, applicable to us today, what we're bound under. Are we under the, the law of Moses? Are we under the Ten Commandments? Do we have to obey the Sabbath? There's a lot of questions uh, like that. Sure. And I think that's been a, a controversy over the years, uh, especially as we talk to people in other groups. And I think we've done a really good job 
of explaining to our people and to visitors and uh, people that um, uh, we just discuss things with that we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. I think a, a passage that we often talk about is Colossians 2, uh, verses 13 and 14. L- let me read that to you so we can explain it. It says, all right, so in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, and this is from the English Standard Version, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the point that Paul is making here is that uh, Jesus removed the Old Testament law when he died on the cross. That uh, record of debt that stood against us was cancelled, it was removed. And uh, Paul explains this further in Ephesians uh, with his discussion of the Jews and the Gentiles. So through this whole section, he's talking about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles and how mm-hmm. they're all reconciled together in Christ. Maybe. So what you were you were bringing up earlier about uh, when other people bring up the Ten Commandments or the Sabbath command, a lot of people do try to take those things from the old law and say we have to obey them today. And so the church has done a really good job of expressing why we don't have to obey them because those things were nailed to the cross with Christ. Is that where we're going? That's exactly where we're going. There's a, there's a difference between the old covenant, the covenant that was brought in Sinai that Moses brought down from uh-huh. the mountain and the covenant that Jesus brought in uh, at his death. He taught before his death, but it was enacted after his death. Those are two separate covenants. And I'll just add this too. You know, a lot of people get scared whenever they hear that you don't have to obey the Ten Commandments as though the principles that the Ten Commandments stand for, uh, we, we no longer follow those same principles of not taking the Lord's name in vain or not uh, obeying your, you know, or you have to obey your parents, etc. But all of the commands that we find in the Old Testament are repeated in the New Testament, the principles, I should say. Right. You know, we are called to still honor the Lord. We're called to uh, honor our parents, to not uh, commit adultery, etc. So anything that God needed his covenant people to remember, he carries it over. Yes. So we don't have to worry about losing any. I think some people get scared whenever they hear it's gone. Um, let me ask you this question. If the Old Testament law doesn't apply to us, if I don't have to obey it, then does that mean that I just, you know, I can never read it? You know, can I just open the Bible in Matthew and start there and, and just never even consider what the Old Testament says? Well, no. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be a very short study. Why should I care about the Old Testament? Well, you don't. <laughs> no, I, I think we, sh- we do need to care about the Old Testament. Um, and it's still very valuable to us in our Christian faith. So this is where the three verses that I was talking about um, come in. And, sure. you know, we could spend all day here. It's not just these three verses, these three reasons. There's a myriad of reasons. Well, this will be good for, you know, again, especially that person who's been intimidated by the Old Testament. We're, right. we're trying to encourage them. Hey, you know what? You may be living under the New Covenant, but here's three great reasons for you to consider the Old Testament. And so you, your first one that you have is uh, Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant. You're going to have a scripture, and I know you're going to want to read it and explain, but I want you to, to whenever you go through that scripture, um, will you answer this question for me? Why did he fulfill it instead of just tossing it out, of destroying it? Yeah, all right. Well, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And then we'll, we'll try and answer that question. So Matthew chapter 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, 
Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or uh, one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So the reason that Jesus um, didn't destroy the law, rather he fulfilled it, is it's still the word of God. Mm -hmm. And God cannot lie. He cannot make a promise and then not fulfill it. If God said it, then it's going to happen. Right. And you can't just disregard the word of God. I mean, we can't do that as as uh, people. And even God can't do that because it's contrary to his nature. He fulfills the promises that he uh, that he makes. Right. If Jesus destroyed the law, that would be everything that was preparing for his coming. Yes. And I know we'll talk about that more, but. Uh, how counterintuitive it would be to arrive and throw out everything that proclaimed that you were you were the one to be. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's excellent. Um, let's talk about that that next part, the the Old Testament describing Jesus' mission. We know that he came for it. Um, you asked the question in your notes, and so I guess I'd like to ask it on your behalf. Why did Jesus have to be our sacrifice? Well, it's because it was predicted in the Old Testament, and if Jesus just destroyed uh, the old law, then as you say, then we wouldn't have the fulfillment of the promises that were, ma- were made back then. Jesus uh, fulfilled the Old Testament, not just by doing it, but by being the answer for all the promises that came before it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think a, a, a good example for this, I mean, like, I, like we said earlier, there's myriad of examples that we could make, but let's just start at the beginning of the New Testament. Let's start at the book of Matthew. Okay. Matthew takes great pains to show that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. What What do you mean by great pains? He goes into uh, ex- exquisite detail about how Jesus fulfilled the promises of the prophets and of Moses uh, that they made in the Old Testament. Um, so, for example, there are over 15 uh, uh explicit statements along the lines of that it may be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Uh uh-huh okay uh so matthew is showing his audience that jesus is the fulfillment of these old testament promises that he is the one that was promised right and that he fulfilled those promises as well that to me is one of the it gives me the most comfort as far as being if i if i have doubts or there's skeptics who want to question the Bible's authenticity. It's uh, prophetic, I guess, or prophecy and fulfillment is, is the relationship there to see things that are written, that we have documents that while we may not have the originals, we have copies that come down to us that are from the 200 B.C., 300 B.C. era, and so they corroborate these messages that have come down hundreds if not thousands of years before Jesus was born, and then for him to fulfill it. Um, that is a great comfort for me mm-hmm. as a believer that these things are true. And so I, it's good to see the great pains that Matthew would go to because I know that he's doing it for the Jewish audience in the first century, but he's also in a way doing it for me so that I can know that these things are true. So uh, I guess I guess another way of putting it is that we should care about the Old Testament because Matthew clearly did. Right. He was uh, trying really hard to show us that this Jesus wasn't just a new prophet that came with a new message 
and was totally disconnected to what God had done before. Mm-hmm. But this Jesus uh, was the fulfillment of a plan that had been set in motion thousands of years earlier and that God had revealed parts of to his people as time went on. Now, you you have in your notes the very first verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And what's neat about the first verses is a lot of times there's just so much information packed in there that you can gloss over it if you, or, you know, just kind of go over it real quick if you're not careful. Um, but like in Genesis 1, 1, you can spend so much time in Genesis yep. 1, verse 1. There's so much packed in. That's the first verse in the Old Testament. And here we are in the first verse in the New Testament, and it's the exact same way. He There's so much much specific information in there that for the casual reader to just go through it, you miss so much. So yeah. what can we slow down and look at when we look at Genesis 1, verse 1? Well, in uh, oh, Matthew 1, 1, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in, in Matthew 1, 1, that's a, a good case in point that we should care about the Old Testament. But f- because for that casual reader, he doesn't really know anything about the Old Testament. You, you begin in Matthew and you think, what are all these names? Right. Why should we care about all these people? Right, right. When does it get to the action? Tell me about Jesus, not about his genealogy. Uh-huh. Why does Matthew spend nearly a whole chapter talking about the genealogy? That's because it's important to the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the promises that God had made. So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's, he specifically picks out these two men mm-hmm. before uh, talking about the rest of gene- Jesus' uh, genealogy. And he does that because Jesus is the fulfillment that uh, of the promises made to these two men. So we got um, David, the king, and Abraham, who's the father of uh, many nations. Right, right. So that this big main point that you've brought out, this first big point is that Jesus fulfills the old covenant. He didn't destroy it. He didn't toss it aside. He comes as... Uh, really, the the fulfillment of all the promises that it has to make, including being a son of David, the king, and a son of Abraham, the father of the faith. Excellent. Um, what's our second point? Second point is that the old covenant is about Jesus. Okay. So uh, this, this maybe is a um, surprising point, right? <laughs> because yeah. especially now when we have the religion of Christianity and the religion of Judaism, the new covenant is for Christians, we think. The old right. covenant is for Jews. Right. Is that really the case? Well, no, because Christianity is a religion that's built upon not just the promises of Jesus under the new covenant, but the promises that God made under the old covenant as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You use one of my favorite uh, proof texts in Luke chapter 24. I love this verse because it's where Jesus kind of lays claim to it all, saying Mm -hmm. this was all about me. Will you read it to us and then explain it? Yeah, sure. So uh, Luke chapter 24, we'll start in verse 25, go down through verse 27. says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'm like you. This is one of my favorite passages, yeah. especially a little bit later on when the, the two disciples are talking to each other and they said, um, did not our hearts burn within us? Right. And man, I, I can't imagine hearing that sermon. <laughs> I would have loved to hear that sermon. Maybe uh, maybe in, in heaven we'll uh, know those things. Sure. Well, there's this. We, we, we have the extreme privilege of getting to look at all this information with hindsight. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so we get to see it all connected, whereas they got to experience it for the first time. Uh, maybe would you just take us through kind of an overview of the Old Testament? Help us understand how this is not just a, a random assortment mm-hmm. of books, but rather it really is kind of woven together with Jesus in mind. Yeah, well, when Jesus refers to the, the law and the prophets, he's uh, w- rather uh, Moses and all the prophets, he's talking about how the, the Old Testament um, was divided in his time. There was the books of Moses, we call it the Pentateuch, um, the first five books of the law, and then what comes after that is the prophets, which really was a, a divine commentary on the things that you find in the Pentateuch. And so Jesus is saying that not only uh, Moses in those books of the law was prophesying about him, but all the prophets that came afterwards in all the rest of the books of the Bible are predicting uh, him himself as well. I've done a study, maybe perhaps you have as well. Um, I think I even have a video on it. It's one of the videos I had on my, my uh, YouTube page way back at the beginning of Pure and Simple Bible. But it's called The Promised Messiah, and I tried to find Jesus in every book in the Old Testament. And I, I set up some parameters. Um, is there a f- foreshadowing of a priest element, of a sacrificial element, of the uh, king element, or is there just a need, you know, is there just a dark hole in the, in the book that it's expressing there's the need for reformation to happen? And it was really neat to see in all 39 yeah. uh, how there is the fingerprints of him all over the place. And in your uh, study, you, you provide a couple of really neat examples of that. Would you go into some of these explaining uh, the seeing the hope of the Messiah throughout yeah. the Old Testament? Well, I think you're absolutely right, and and that um, when we look at the Old Testament, we're not seeing a collection of books that have messianic prophecies in them. We're seeing uh, a collection of books that are thoroughly messianic. By that, I mean that they're all about Jesus, and that's exactly what Jesus is claiming here. He's, He's not just claiming there's a few prophecies. He's saying, this is about me. That's a primary purpose Mm -hmm. of these books, and I think a good example of this is the book of Ruth, which when we look at it to begin with, it doesn't look like, how's that predicting the Messiah? Um, But really, if we slow down and look at what the book of Ruth is about, we've got a a book about uh, someone who is in need, who is hopeless by herself, Ruth. She's an an outcast. She's not an Israelite. She isn't uh, a part of God's people, but she's redeemed by this kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who brings her into the fold, provides for her, protects her, marries her, which in Scripture, uh, God uses again and again the imagery of marriage to discuss his relationship, his covenant relationship with his people. Right. And um, Ruth uh, is foreshadowing uh, specifically King David at the end of the book. It gives the genealogy of David. And so it's setting up a type between Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who redeemed one woman, and David, who is the, the king who redeemed a nation. And then uh, the implicit type is Jesus, who is the David, the king, who is going to redeem the whole world. Right, right. And that, that wedding imagery will even follow into the book of Revelation. You know, in 19, it's the wedding of the lamb whenever he comes as the bridegroom for his beloved. Now, uh, this is a genuine question. I had to look it up. I don't even know how to pronounce it. But you mentioned in Genesis 315 something about the 
is it the polydot? Well, see, I have to look this up because <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. I think it's pronounced toldot. Toldot. Yes. Okay, well, what's a toldot and what's going on in Genesis 3.15? Well, these are actually two different points. I kind of confused you oh, in the okay. notes. But uh, Genesis 3.15 is a passage that's known as the Proto-Evangelium, yes. the, the first gospel. Proto, meaning first, evangelium, just uh, like gospel. Good, good news, gospel. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and so that's when... Uh, Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden and God is pronouncing his curses and he curses the serpent who we know from Revelation is Satan. Um, and he says in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, so God, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and uh, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. In verse 15, this is the important part. Uh, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So I guess the reason this is called the first gospel is this is the first um, prediction of Jesus coming and destroying Satan and redeeming the world because right. uh, there's, there's enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and there will be one particular seed who will come and destroy Satan and his works forever. And it will take the rest of the Bible to help explain that scripture, right? Yes. Like I'm not going to get Jesus in Genesis 3.15 alone. There's going to have to be other things that help me understand it. And that's exactly the point. Oh, we're going to cut it short right there as we talk about the Proto-Evangelium and how it and the rest of the Old Testament helps set the stage for the Messiah and how the Messiah... And the New Testament relies on the Old Testament for help as uh, the gospel gets fleshed out. So, until next week, I invite you to go to the website pureandsimplebible.com and check out all those great resources that are there for you to download and use absolutely free. And until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like...